Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you are listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Hello, Brock. How are you? Sober. <laughs> hey! hey! Probably. Yeah, been a fun uh, 2023 so far. Uh, it uh, it turns out that you can uh, realize that uh, if you do a lot of things that aren't fun unless you're drinking, it's possible that they aren't fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, nothing like a little uh, step back from that to uh, to change things. Anyway, it's uh, I think that's uh, part of who I am moving forward, and it's uh, pretty okay, and it's nice to be here, and also. Uh, Turns out that I had a lot of things that I thought, uh, well, there's no way I could possibly be dealing with the pressure or the pain of all of that without, you know, having one to ten drinks each day to unwind from it. And uh, it turns out you know, a lot of stressful things are less stressful uh, when you're uh, less insane. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a pretty nice uh, pivot uh, for a show where I've tried to bring up things that have changed my life by being like what if you spent 15 more minutes in the sunshine it's like well for 76 episodes i also knew i could just quit drinking and that would probably have a significant effect too and uh yeah it turns out there's a there's a whole segment of the show i could have just uh cut to the end on so i don't know good to be present and happy or at least accounted for (laughs) all of that it is yeah. very good, very good for you to be here. I'm very, very happy. This is a realization that you have come to. Good fucking job. I drove this week, which uh, I kept because I am of a very specific age. Uh, anytime I say that, my brain goes. So did you have trouble getting here? Ah, uh, you know, I I, just, I, 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 I drove. I saw you come in. Ah, uh, you're probably right. You know, um. I'm learning to drive again after a paltry 12-year layoff, and uh, I have a very good instructor. I knew he was going to be good when he rung up to before my first lesson to set expectations, and I said, well, the year is 2008, and I have recently got married to someone it turns out I should not have got married to. I, I just, I, I scrolled through all the, the, the times where, if this was a 1970s horror movie, Every time I had begun to learn to drive, the priest would put those dates over horrifying disasters and go, my God, this man must never get behind the wheel of a car again. Seriously, every single time I've done it, some awful shit has happened. And I just figured it's time to do it. So I'm about, I was about three weeks in when I got COVID and I'm about two, three weeks in post COVID. And this particular lesson, we were going to do forward bay parking. And it turns out that because the town I live in hates its residents. What we were actually going to do was pretty much a solid hour of quite complex driving around roadworks and varying speeds and all this good stuff. And then 10 minutes of forward bay parking. And we were going to do all this on the first hot day of the year. And I had not worn sunblock. So I was a very large Manx bug under glass for two hours, working really hard. And then I came out the other side of it when I didn't crash. Nothing went badly. The last couple of minutes were a little ragged because I was fucking tired. Jesus, I need to drink about 15 gallons of water. That went great. I'm going to go get a taco and go see Evil Dead Rise. So it was, by all accounts, a pretty fucking good day. <laughs> there's, a, there's a place over here called uh, Torchy's Tacos that was uh, basically only in Austin. And so uh, when South by Southwest would roll around... 
it's where all of us the would get to town like it was near the theaters for that and and it was a, always a big hullabaloo to go visit it and uh, during pandemic torchy's tacos opened a location in my city five minutes up the road from me Dude, uh, and so the amount of like days that my wife and i have recreated the experience of south by southwest so casually of like well, why don't we load up on uh, Torchy's Tacos, Queso, Guac, and then go to the movie theater next door? I feel like tacos in a movie, like, already always just a good call. Uh, but the fact that uh, life gifted us, like, a little, like, hey, what if there was just this one little spot that doesn't exist anywhere else that you sort of covet once a year and will take a several thousand dollar trip to go to? And we just... Uh, put it up the road from you and and made it never busy and made the guy that runs it a giant fan of your publication uh i don't know oh it's dude a, as as i have lost most bars that i used to go into to work out of i have gained torchy's tacos kansas city location i'm just sort of like thank you this is a nice little boost their best thing that they do is that a1 they have a secret menu and the secret menu is printed and laminated and is behind the counter at the bar. Uh, yes, so like, that's it, how you just do like, it. Yeah, it, don't just guess at things. Actually, here's a list of 12 things. But additionally, they do um, they do a specialty taco every month. And without fail, whatever their specialty taco is, it's something that I'm just like, please make this happen every month. And they do. they have done a different specialty taco based around, for no apparent reason, each iteration of the Fast and Furious franchise. And, oh my god. That's and the incredible. Toki, the Tokyo Drifter is maybe my favorite food item in the world. Uh, and I, I literally begged them to bring it back ahead of the new <laughs> Fast X movie, and they did. I, I just walked in the other day and saw it. I was like, good, I brought back the Fast and Furious 3 taco. That one's that one's just a little gift for me. So yeah. Uh, tacos and movies although your movie was evil dead how did the taco sit with that <laughs> uh pretty solid actually because it turns out one of the the less well-known secrets about me is despite the fact that i've logged 16 years as the host of a horror podcast i'm actually kind of an enormous wuss so every now and again i will go see a horror movie and i will go this is not a pleasant type of fun i'm a bit unsettled and usually i used used to try and just pull my way through that and uh, a few horror movies ago, it isn't all of them, it's it's normally the, the gooey ones, and Evil Dead Rise is pretty gooey. I just realized I wear glasses. Mm. I can just take them off. So I do, and it's great. And about 10 minutes into Evil Dead Rise, I thought, that nice lady's about to get scalped. That's probably going to look quite gross. Glasses off. Oh, yeah, she's got scalped. Glasses back on. Oh, dude gets killed with a drone. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm in all the way in. So it's it's like getting into a swimming pool when you get to that point where the water is directly below your belows. And you're like, I have two choices. I can either just jump straight in and accept the pain or slowly dip myself into this like a just like a barrier taco. And I, I just I, I go for the dip now with horror movies and it, it works really well. Also, I had a donut, and it was great. So, yeah, I had a taco, I had a donut, and I watched an Evil Dead movie. It's pretty solid. See, that one squeezes out a red goo filling. That one feels, you know what, if I can't see it, sure, absolutely. <laughs> do you have a story for us today? I do. I, in fact, have seven stories for you today, <laughs> linked across a multimedia-style franchise. There are... I. 
It is a difficult Excuse thing. Excuse me, to there turn. are ten entries in the Fast and Furious franchise <laughs> plus Hobbs and Shaw. Hold that thought. Okay. Because it turns out Netflix recently put up a seven movie series which is spiritually very much a cousin to the Fast and Furious movies. The series is called High and Low. And High and Low is part of a relentless flotilla of entertainment. It is a spin-off of a TV show. There are live music shows. There is tie-in manga. It's in the middle of a two-movie encounter crossover with two other manga series. The entire thing is all actually an offshoot of something I did not expect. You, you and I have both been brought up in the Western world, so we know that one of the inalienable rules in all things is that boy and or girl bands have to have five members. There has to be the grumpy artistic one. There has to be the funny one. Sure. There has to be the hot but intimidating one, the possible goth one, and Robbie Williams. That's just how it goes. He defies categorization. The man released a big band album, and his latest single was a cat food commercial on how great it is being a cat. He's an icon. So, five members, to the point of, I remember, a few years back, I think it was Little Mix, who are a very successful British girl band, who had six members. And an awful lot of, of kind of music folks, before they, they went live, were like, you have one too many people. Yeah. Exile Tribe laugh at you have one too many people. Exile Tribe is, is a division of boy bands. It is a platoon. There are hundreds of them. And they are the organization that the high and low movies have kind of spun out of. Basically, the best way to describe them is take every boy band ever and combine them with the Avengers, the X-Men, and a lot of motorbikes. It's pretty great. Yeah. And the high and low series is all set in a district of an unnamed city, which is very run down. There is a chemical plant in the middle of it. There's a whole section basically just a homeless community. It's blue collar, it's as run down as you can get. It's a location that is defined by five gangs, and you will notice there are five letters in the word sword. Pay attention to this next bit, it's pretty cool. The first gang is, is called Sano Rengokai Hoodlum Squad, and they are very good boys who basically want to be the Knights of the Round Table just with lots of hair product. The White Rascals are, are the gang Vince Noir would join if he joined a gang. Super stylish, super into defending women, a little bit angsty. Probably own every Sisters of Mercy album. OER High School, uh, a high school, and they're also thugs, with the best theme tune ever. I live by the creed of tough on the causes of cover versions of Jump Around, but this is a very good one. The Rude Boys are parkour homeless kids, and Daruma Ika have great jackets, control all the festivals in the area, and are literally the designated red shirts. They're the gang who will get their asses all the way beat to show how serious this particular movie's villain is. Now, the core of all this is a trilogy of films, and the core of that trilogy is an attempt by the local Yakuza to buy the district, build a casino, and basically gentrify this area into the ground. For an action movie franchise, this is actually pretty smart. There's some quite serious looks at gentrification and its impacts, and there's a really nice beat in the last couple of movies of this trilogy, where all these kids who have grown up in the area and have parents who own businesses several of them quite justifiably are like but if we get the money we can just move to somewhere less awful why are we punching these people you know and it actually takes a lot of time looking at this from lots of different angles it also and i am not exaggerating has no less than three you're only accidentally evil we will punch you until you are good again plots three that feels like the right number yeah absolutely and an extended battle between an unkillable samurai assassin hitman, two extremely cool bike dudes, 
two older extremely cool bike dudes, and a panicky European cyberpunk hacker in a van. This is the franchise that Fast and Furious will turn into when Dom enters his cocoon at the end of Fast and Furious 11. It is crammed full of ludicrous fights, and this recurrent motif of punch-ups with an easy couple of hundred people aside, filmed by drones. This thing looks like Cecil B. DeMille was fired sideways through Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Just, you, you, it, it's, it's amazing because the mass fight scenes are so well choreographed. It's not just a whole bunch of extras going, I punch you, you punch me. They have very clearly worked on each one of these individual fights telling a story as a maniac with a drone camera flies over them screaming, more blood, more hair. It's great. But on top of all of that, it's also really smart, and it makes some very interesting narrative choices. That core trilogy has three side movies to it, two or three. Uh, one is actually all focused on the Animia brothers, who are the cool bike dudes, the younger versions I mentioned earlier, which gives their actions context and also drives the plot. Later, after that trilogy resolves, the fact that Oya High School is a high school, and eventually, legally, people at the school are sat down and told, you're an adult now, fuck off becomes a very important part of the overall plot. Best of all, the villains at one point all but say out loud, you will never defeat us because we are older and have more insurance. <laughs> it is cyberpunk to the core, it's dystopian to the core, and it has that big, gushy heart that a lot of anime does. My favourite one of the entire series, by far, is a spin-off that falls between Final Mission, which is the end of the initial trilogy, and the Oya High School movies called DTC. And in DTC, three of the younger Sano members go on holiday because it's all got a bit tense. And they set up a splinter gang, all of their own, called DTC. They have names which begin with those letters. And it is like that moment where you have a younger sibling who suddenly discovers rap or metal. Because three or four of the, the main characters from other gangs basically show up and go, Aww, little fellas, do you want a hand? No, we're very angsty and we're going to go find ourselves. Okay. Here's some sandwiches. To give you an idea of the vast tonal shift across these movies, at one point in DTC, Dan, who does at one point have dreadlocks in these movies, and that terrible choice is addressed, and is the D of DTC, says, man, this place is all stairs, as he tries to find a job in a hot spring resort town. One movie prior to this, the five gangs of the Sword District are combining to fight a private security firm to get proof of a chemical spill that may have killed several members of their families to the government, as one of the others is trying to get out of a secret lab under the part of the district that is about to be explosively demolished. So we go from that to Dan going, oh, so many stairs in one movie. I love these things. <laughs> I love them. Even better, DTC has not one but two musical numbers, a kid who needs a cool older sibling, a chaste romance, and a cool car. All in 90 minutes. It's amazing. Now, on top of all of this, and this, this was kind of how I came into these movies. I had them recommended to me as a really good watch art article that kind of walks you through what order to watch them in, which I'll link to. So I watched all of these things, and then I kind of backtraced it a little bit, because all these guys are actually trained dancers and musicians first. And I can't quite articulate the absolute head fuck watching their videos after these movies creates. Not just because you're going, there aren't five of them. Holy shit, there's like 35, what the hell? How are there this many people? <laughs> 
but also because they're actually really good. The Anamia Brothers have this weird kind of 1960s heavy metal Beatles thing going on, which is a really good time. The samurai dude, it turns out, is kind of like Bez from the Happy Mondays, just with a little bit more swords. It's brilliant. <laughs> These things are wild, but they're also really smart and really clear-viewed, and at their core... They address really dark issues with a tremendous amount of honesty and sincerity. These are movies about kids fighting to defend a home that's barely a home, but it's theirs. And all of these movies, even the slightly weird ones, have their heart always sewn on their immaculate biker jacket sleeve, and I, I am very fond of them. <laughs> I like when you have a recommendation for something that I know is going to be a, a hundred-hour investment. <laughs> Like, anything that's not, he's like, you should go watch this movie, okay? It's actually a series of movies. Actually, it's also some TV shows. Look, there, there's actually pre-reading to just understand what order it's going to be in. That's when I'm like, ah, fucking hooked me. There we go. You uh, the, the pre-homework? You got me. Having to <laughs> make an Excel sheet to plan this all out? I am, I am in. <laughs> Fucking yes. What is your carrying into the void to go with this massive chunk of, of cross media? <laughs> Here it is. There is always another battle. There is always another moment where you and your friends have to run headlong down the container street of life, screaming with warrior <laughs> spirit as this week's problem runs towards you. Or today's problem. Or this hour's problem. Or this hour's first problem. It's exhausting. It's infuriating, and it feels like it will never end. But sometimes the only way to win is to fight, and you have never backed down from a good fight. So you wrap your hands, and you assemble your crew, and those weird guys with the stepladder that they use as a battering ram show up again, and you don't make eye contact, but they're effective, and you do need them, so off you go. It won't, I promise, always be like this. No one wins forever, or absolutely, but you will win, and odds are, win enough. The quiet moments will stop being the quiet moments between battles, and they'll start being what you cherish, and you'll get more of them, and more from them when you get them. You always show up for the good fight. Remember to show up, and notice, when you win them. Ice cream by the river, Brock. It's how we do it. This is one of those where I sincerely hope that somebody hears the recommendation that's involved and is like, you know what? That is totally different from what we have done, but the spirit is so true and so distilled. Let's let's get this guy some sort of thing. Or maybe this Aww. podcast has just been inducted into the extended universe. Anytime that you talk about it, <laughs> it's actually an official canonized part of this. <laughs> My sobriety now exists within that universe, so that's exciting for me. Oh, this has been a very good afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us today? Right on. So this is one of those that, like, I, I'm going to bring it up and you're going to be like, everyone knows what that is. But look, the, the cross-Atlantic education that we get on things, you guys learn a lot about America, the history of Europe. You have a lot more history. I, I I know that there's plenty of bits about Europe where the history is from. Thank you, Eddie Izzard. So our previous episode, we brought up Patriot Games, which was my childhood introduction to the IRA and the Troubles and things. And like every couple of years, I go on a kick where I'm like, 
I really have to learn a lot more about what happened there. There's large chunks of European history that I'm like, I tangentially know what that is, but the details of which escape me. Anyway, this brings us all to the concept of a priest hole. Oh, this is going to be good. You, I assume you know what this is. I am aware of what priest holes are. They are very, yeah. Cool. Okay. So uh, in Catholic houses in England, Wales, and Ireland, Queen Elizabeth came to the throne in 1558, and there were several Catholic plots to remove her, and so there was retaliation taken against Catholic priests. And so they actually started hiring people that were called priest hunters, uh, which is fantastic to me as, as just a concept. There was a Jesuit brother named Nicholas Owen who dedicated his life to building priest holes, uh, which were basically just places in a house where a priest could hide if the priest hunters came from. It has huge vampire energy. Uh, <laughs> but, like, beside priest hole, which has incredibly dirty mouthfeel, uh, which I, I just adore, uh, <laughs> to stick with Owen for a second, uh, after the gunpowder plot, he was captured and taken to the Tower of London and, and tortured to death on the rack, and then he was canonized as a martyr by the Pope in 1970. So, like, that's a weird little journey for him. But this guy's whole specialty was really, I'm just going to build little holes to hide a man in. And it feels very, <laughs> I want to do that for my cats. I just want little guys to be able to hide out. And, like, all of this politics and the religious aspect, all of it sort of takes a backseat to a section in the Wikipedia which you rarely see that is just subheaded this, effectiveness. This is when it got me. The effectiveness of priest holes was demonstrated by their success in baffling the exhaustive searches of the pursuivants, the priest hunters, described in contemporary accounts of the searches. Search parties would bring along skilled carpenters and masons and try every possible expedient from systemic measurements and soundings to the physical tearing down of paneling and pulling up of floors. Another ploy would be for the searchers to pretend to leave and see if the priest would emerge from hiding. He might be half-starved, cramped, sore with prolonged confinement and almost afraid to breathe lest the sound show suspicion under the particular spot where he was concealed. But more often than not, a priest in a priest would die by starvation or lack of oxygen rather than actually being found. So the concept of, okay, we know there's probably maybe a guy in this house. We have a whole Ocean's 13 here of masons, carpenters, mathematicians, <laughs> seismologists, and we're going to, like, these are not large houses and the fact that, like, with some frequency, this one guy just got good at consistently building new and different unexpected ways to just hide a guy. Like, I, I, I find this to be so fascinating in this, like, I don't know, Houdini had, like, eight tricks. This guy kept saving lives for years and years by just building each person, like, his own little, like, you know what they've probably not seen before? This little thing. And they worked it feels like there's an indie film in somebody hiding in a priest hole and 12 people disassembling in a, an entire house and still being unable to find them. It's that it's the effectiveness right? of this one creator in his whole work. Uh, that it's just like, I, 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 I all, all I could see in my head was the, Hey, that holes for me. Like that's the, the hole for me. Like <laughs> I'm just so fascinated 
by it and like all the violence and everything else aside it's just sort of like (laughs) the dude invented a hide and go seek game that thwarted the crown uh and like saved lives or in the cases they mentioned there like more likely somebody was just gonna like run out of oxygen rather than be found and then maybe never be found and then you got a little scully guy in the walls like that's just because my brain is my brain, you mentioned the Creased Hunter idea, and my first thought was, wow, that Hemsworth-fronted season of The Witcher, when it finally happens, is going to get weird, isn't it? It is. God, yeah. God bless. Uh, <laughs> so my carrying into the void is this. Even when everything is in its right place, and the world seems to hum along to the same general tune you're on about, it is, of course, advised and prudent to preemptively build a few nooks and crannies for a rainy day. While we can't know what's in the pipe, a rainy day could mean flooding or it could mean hellfire. Not to be on about that he-who-shall-not-be-named sort of lifestyle, because please, I beg of you, read another book. But there are shards of yourself that no one (laughs) needs to see, the bits of you... The bits that don't need oversight or a critical response or blowback, and you deserve to find some place to keep those separate. For those trinkets of your true self, build a little priest hole wherever it might go, and especially where it will not fit. But don't shy away from carrying a bit of priest hole energy about you. Yes, I am the kind of person with some buried treasure in my walls. What's there? None of your business, but you should know that if you come looking you won't find it. It'll be a weekend of maths and measures and a pile of frustrations as you home alone your way through my mid-level house of traps and nothingness. So protect yourself as the implied threat of a complicated person. What could they hope to do about that which they'll never find? That is beautiful. That is fantastic. And yeah, I will need to do some reading up on this, and I will report back on it the next time we talk. But I think I once did a corporate retreat in a building with seven priest holes in it. The idea had not occurred to me until you said this, that there could be multiple, including false priest holes, so that somebody could find it and be like, ah, found the one. Seven (laughs) in one and a corporate retreat there. Actually, that's the indie movie. Right? I just, like, three priests, Monty. Now, what, it's... I love that you find the joy in that. I love that the, this awful situation, but there is this feral joy of, oh, did you find him? No. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> did you ever think of making the Catholics into an offy Komen? Well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> what kind of self-care do you got for us this week? Fridges. They're great. Allow me to explain. <laughs> Nope, uh, you know what? Uh, Nailed it in one. Moving on. No, don't. Let's move on. Um, we we accidentally gave ourselves low-key food poisoning for several months, and I do not recommend it. Basically, we live in an apartment building that used to be an office block and was converted by the lowest bidding contractor. In the seven years we've been here to date, both lifts have broken multiple times, once for four months without notice. The front door has jammed open. I have had a bike stolen from inside the building. Someone lifts parcels from the mailroom every couple of days. The broadband didn't work in one third of the building for four months, and it took my partner doing unpaid project management to fix it. And, and this will sound like a comedic exaggeration, it is not. Last week, we found out that our brand new car's windscreen wiper fluid pipe had been eaten by a rat inside the underground parking garage, three spaces away from a pest control van. That's the correct response. That is absolutely the correct response. Somehow, the biggest one of all the issues we've had with the building 
has been the fridge, because the rubber seals on our fridge spent about six months collapsing in a very subtle and graceful way that we didn't notice until it got obvious. What we did notice in that time was that milk warmed up from delicious and cold to eh in about four hours, and a lot of food seemed to go off really fast, so we worked around it as best we could. And then when we finally solved the problem, we had honestly decided we had dairy allergies, and we'd just begun drinking black coffee. What? Sorry, that was too many things. Basically, for a long time, food was slowly going off in our fridge. And the first manifestation of this was that we both started having low-level stomach trouble. And we eventually isolated it, we thought, to milk. And we thought, oh, guess we shouldn't drink milk anymore. And that's a real shame, because I love the cow juice. Always have done. So we shifted across to soy milk for a little bit, and then we just started taking our coffee black instead of with milk. And then we got a new fridge, and suddenly the milk tasted the same four hours after it had been put in the fridge as when it was first put in there. And we realized that perhaps this had been a deeper problem than we thought. So basically, now we have a real fridge and not a slightly cool wardrobe. And I mean, we're still drinking black coffee, but the food poisoning's definitely gone. So yeah, fridges, they're great. I recommend them. What do you have for us? So, I don't know. It's a tag on yours, but in Los Angeles, when my wife first moved in with me while we were dating, there was a month where we were both mysteriously ill. And uh, one day she cracked the code of it, which was that I had actually been putting laundry pods in the dishwasher for about a month and a half. Oh, dear God. That contained bleach, and we were bleaching all of our plates and glasses. So we felt terrible, but our teeth were fucking immaculate. Just (laughs) shine bright like a diamond. so that's that's oh. mine. Uh, no, uh, so uh, my self care into the void has actually been I got a baritone Gretsch guitar uh, for four twenty because now that I no longer participate, I was like, right, I'll I'll use the money on something else. So mm-hmm. uh, a baritone guitar, for those that don't know, is an instrument that's halfway between a guitar and a bass. So it's it's longer. Oh uh, the strings are thicker, uh, and instead of the low note being an E. The low note is a B, uh, so it's tuned in the midpoint there, literally like the baritone range, um, but it is tuned exactly like a guitar, so if you play guitar and you use a capo to like go up a few and, and transpose things, this is the equivalent of a, a minus five capo. It just takes everything down, but it, it's still all the same like chord formations and stuff. So without having to relearn any songs... I'm able to play it on this instrument, and it's just auto-transposed into a vocal range much better for me in my late 30s versus when I learned the songs in my 20s. And it's been a very... I can't hit those notes like I used to, but uh, it's very good for very Roy Orbison-esque stuff. Like, Ooh, uh, if, if you know a baritone guitar in, in popular culture... The intro theme to Twin Peaks with the bum 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 bum. That's oh, a, that's a lovely sound. Right, a lot of spaghetti western stuff was very good at using it. Uh, so, like, yeah, it's a different instrument, but it's also the same instrument. It's a lot like how a baritone ukulele also just uses the bottom four strings of a guitar, but as a ukulele. So, I've actually acquired both of those, and so I'm taking a lot of music that I used to perform re-entering myself into it because i'm gonna start playing some some music gigs around town opening for some friends bands and stuff and uh oh dude it, it, it's fun to get back into that but it's fun to get back into that and not be like boy i really gotta stretch for notes that i was if uh, look 
fake plastic trees. I, I've kept trying at karaoke for years. I can't get the falsetto stuff. Now it's just right in there. But it's um, it's it's been mostly a reminder that like transposing things as a concept, a little more advanced than switching your perspective on something. We spend a lot of time being like, what if you looked at this from a different angle? But like, what if in a more active way you took things that you wanted to do and physically changed them in a way to make them fit better into your comfort zone or your skill set? And there's been something very freeing in the last month about, uh, oh, I'm playing and singing a lot more because it just feels more comfortable than it ever has. And I'm like, okay, this is this was a really interesting experiment that has opened me up to songwriting in a way for a long time, because also I'm starting in, in the key of B, which not a lot of songs are typically start from. I was like, okay, this is a really interesting way of doing things, but also when I'm covering songs, uh, it feels a little like that equivalent of when a horror movie trailer does a minor key version of a popular <laughs> song, but uh, just uh, a little more gravelly for my voice and uh, at my Tom Waitsification of some of this, I'm pretty in tune with. So uh, I, I don't know, uh, transposing, just transitioning what you're tackling to not approach it the same way as everyone else, but to adapt to I think I would have said my limitations, but truly to my my strengths or my current skill sets, like it's been very creatively fulfilling and was certainly not part of such a large thesis when I saw it in a store and was like, I'll have that because I'm sober now and I have money for frivolous musical instruments again. <laughs> so that that is outstanding. And I, I love how you are using that. I love how the act of transposing and the thing that really jumped out at me there was not the adapted to my weaknesses, but adapted to my strengths. That's fucking cool as shit. It's perspective. And like for all the time we spend saying, hey, look at something from a different perspective. Sometimes there aren't really different perspectives unless you're doing a toxic positivity of like, I can do anything. And like, no, don't don't start there. You're setting yourself for even greater disappointment. This one I was just like. I bought a slightly thicker string that feels a little too thick for my finger, but uh, I don't know. This is cute and different, and, and it's trying something new. Albeit, I did have a baritone when I was in high school uh, because that was the tuning that bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit used, so I was not doing Roy Orbison-esque material at the time. <laughs> uh, this one is taking it seriously, but also sometimes playing some Limp Biscuit because my muscle memory remains of that. I'm so sorry. It's problematic. What is your sharing into the void for this week? <laughs> uh, my sharing into the void for this week is video games. I played through Little Orpheus across about three hours last week, and it's lovely. It has unfortunate historic resonance, but it's actually ultimately very good historic resonance. Little Orpheus opens with a cosmonaut called Ivan Ivanovich walking into a Russian facility three years after he had disappeared, demanding to go home and say, you know, I would really like to leave now, thank you. And he is confronted by his superior officer, who is, Ivan is very small, and his superior officer is a very large, very angry man, who demands to know where he's been. And he basically says, well, I've spent the last three years in the center of the earth, let me tell you. And it is divided up into nine 25-minute segments, and it's a platformer. You just run left to right and jump around stuff. It is golden age science fiction. So you get the, uh, there's an atomic-powered sled at one point. There's a fight with a croc in another. 
And the whole time you're doing all of this while Ivan is telling his story to the general, who is having none of it. And it comes together in this deeply lovely way, because the whole point is Ivan was actually sent to the center of the earth. The Russians basically pointed a rocket inwards to try and, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, to try and conquer what was down there. And the general is very interested in getting the atomic power plant slash bomb in their back. And it doesn't make light of the Russian state. You think it does. And then about five or six episodes in, there was a point where suddenly uh, Van runs out of story. And it's heavily implied he may actually be lying. And there is this moment of extraordinary kindness, which is a thing which you don't see very often in kind of mainstreamish video games, where as he's starting to falter, suddenly the general starts giving him tips. And it becomes this very gentle act of personal rebellion for both these guys against the system that has defined their lives. And also, Yvonne is so charming. I mean, the voice acting in this is, is wonderful. And it's absolutely full. Of, I described it as a running screaming simulator, and that's exactly what it is. It's absolutely full of moments where he'll leap off stuff, screaming in terror, and then laugh as he lives one more second. It's like if Bugs Bunny was a very panicky, tiny Russian man who was convinced he was second from Annihilation. It's great. But as it goes on, his story is so charming and so entertaining that it wins over the general. And it becomes less about, is he going to survive, and more about getting to the end of his story, and an end that they can both walk away from. And it's really lovely, and it's very, very finite. You'll play through this thing maybe twice. And it also features a cameo from history's very best doggo. So that was... <laughs> and the, the, and the, the, the score's lovely. Uh, Jessica Curry, who uh, also scored Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, and oh, Dear Esther, both... yes. Yes, yes, yes has done a lovely, lovely job with this. And yeah, it's just a good time. It's a really fun way to spend three hours. I didn't know that Curry was on that, my white vinyl copy of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, of which there were like a hundred copies made, remains one of my, like, oh. I, I should probably keep this uh, vacuum sealed on a shelf, but I just play it a whole, whole lot, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you have for us? Uh, mine's also a game, uh, Dead Island 2. Um, oh, I, I know cool. that um, the first couple Dead Island games I, I found to be absolutely nothing, just uh, melee fighting zombies, but this one's been like in the hopper for a decade. It's set in, in Los Angeles, or as it calls it, Hell A. Uh, and <laughs> it, it actually does like a really nice mix of LA culture, satire with a lot of just very fun, funny violence with weird weapons with superpowers on them and stuff. It is unpunishing in a way where the moment that you die, it just brings you right back to where you were and, like, none of your progress has been lost. So it's a very easy one to, like, sit down and just bash some things out and, like, nothing ever punishes you. You get to watch numbers go up. I, I know I love a good number go up game and I don't play a lot of those as you loot for things, but like uh, it also just has this stunning amount of detail in the interior design of houses and stuff across Los Angeles. I, I on Twitter just couldn't stop screenshotting various bookshelves from the game because they were so oh, pretty. Wow. But uh, now that I've wrapped it up, all things considered, despite it being just some very silly fun 
zombie smashing and stuff. Your character in this, for being in a post-apocalyptic sort of open world, people are always trying to give you missions or something's going wrong and you got to try something your character has a very positive attitude towards all of these things like at the very beginning it's sort of oh my god i can't believe this is happening or you really want me to go find this thing and then very quickly you pivot just into this sort of like i enjoy helping others thing that i'm not sure i've seen in a game like this before where you meet somebody and they're like, hey, I really need you to go find this thing. And you're like, I just love helping people. And when my character said that in this like fitfully violent universe, and I was just like, oh, okay, like that's a, a, a weird pivot. And for all the self-serious games or even the ones that like really want to be edgy or whatever, I, I've never seen one that's just like, I just like helping people. Uh, and if that means using a katana fitted with lasers on it to slice my way through ocean avenue or venice beach uh, where venice beach is action-packed with sort of mini boss level giant zombies because of course the zombie outbreak hits during the iron man competition so a lot of roided out bodybuilders outstanding and, and their weak spot is to go for their legs because they're always skipping leg day i just i can't <laughs> they like i right it's that level of fun where for every time that there's like a joke about like a fire has started because of a gender reveal party or you're trying to help a streamer get more clicks or something, there's there's parts of it that are just e equally charming or just really knock it out of the park. And I was like, I, I, I expected to load it up and have a fun, funky time for a few hours. Instead, I put about 30 into it and was like, that was just a delight start to finish. So that's an easy recommend. Uh, and, and equally, uh, if you've got an Xbox with the Xbox Game Pass, the game that's free to you as of right now is Redfall from Arcane Studios, uh, which is a, a very Buffy-esque sort of thing in the same vein. But it's been a weird time to watch that one release because I have a lot of friends that worked on it. And for some reason, the entire industry took tremendous delight in it having a very rough launch amongst, you know, games are constantly having rough launches and people are like, this didn't super deliver on what it promised. And like, you know, it's the first and what it will inevitably be a long running IP. But uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen such a dramatic overreaction of like delight at the pain of others in the creative world for something that wasn't like, there was nothing political about it. It's not like people were like, oh, the SJWs like ruined this or something. It's just like people were just including people in the industry, friends of friends of friends being like sort of stoked that this didn't land the mark. And it's a perfectly fun game that I'm sure will get better. Things like Destiny and most other games like at this point, I come back a year later, Fallout 76 took three years to be fun. Like, right. I, I don't know. So, like, I feel like tossing, like, a little, like, it's literally free on the Xbox. It's on all these other platforms, too. But it's absolutely worth firing up. And honestly, maybe just do it to dabble in the world a little bit. My mileage varies a lot more than others. And I don't think it's because of the friends involved. I enjoy a good vampire world thing. Uh, but, like, I don't know. I'm sure Dead Island is selling perfectly fine. I know that high on life from the rick and morty guy it was like the biggest selling game of the year things out there are all doing fine and probably don't need the platform but for something that's 
taken a weird beating out of the gate where your word of mouth of, of encountering it might be surprisingly negative it's simply not fair and it's uh it's worth firing up uh, a free game to try out that world for a little bit it seems really fun <laughs> right i mean you know it's it's free for god's sake and yeah. like you i'm I'm always down for a little vampocalypse that sounds like a good time yeah honestly the scariest thing i've seen from the game is somebody going into a house that's pitch black and when they flip their flashlight on the former owner of the house has a giant painting of Jesus up on the wall and you can hear the streamers shouting because it was so scary. And I was like, right, just uh, Jesus as a portrait in there with terrifying material. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That'll do it for me. (laughs) Both of those are officially on my list now. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm loading up Little Orpheus right now, so I, I always yes. enjoy when we do this. I the accessibility of video games. My uh, magazine just published an issue about pets, uh, and we talked all about the issues of pet care, uh, people faking the service industry stuff versus people that actually need it, uh, who's out there trapping the strays, and what sort of processes there are. But we made sure to include a write-up of all of the best video game pets because, like, accessibility to pets is difficult depending on what your landlord's rules are, what your allergies are like, and, like, everyone deserves a little familiar in their life. So sometimes I'm like, is it really worth it to our audience for me to recommend a video game? But when we both get such delight and load up each other's recommendations, it's a reminder that books and movies and, and a lot of things about this world are off limits to people but most games there's some way in for most folks other than like occasionally cost or platforms or whatever but our digital world is pretty accessible all things considered or is at least a nice alternative so it's good that we uh we remind people to go for a walk and touch grass but also lose 30 hours bashing in zombie brains with an axe (laughs) both just as healthy as the other always have been both about cardio really (laughs) right very much so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty much our show shall we plead with people to, to review us places i mean not plead just you know vociferously recommend if you can folks please review us in spots really helps with our discoverability and i mean this entire section of the show in particular is all about this is good you should try it try that with us you'll be amazed how many of your friends might like us reviews on your artisanal podcatcher of choice are great likewise at whichever mega corporation you are currently swearing fealty to we're not mad at you we all have to do it And it does all help. So thank you very much. Also, if you need t-shirts, books, stickers, or any form of other merchandise which is connected to Carrying Into the Void, or a veritable plethora of other authors, and the Escape Artist Podcast Network, the podcast company that I co-own and co-run with my amazing partner, Marguerite Kenner, our dear friends Jordan Shively has the hookup for you. Check out Void Merch, where a whole variety of collections are available for your reading, wearing, and general aesthetic pleasures. Also, I'd like to promote something called the Full Lid. Have you heard of this? Do you hear about this? I, I know those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you're going to plug this show as a as a source for fun, silly things to help tickle your brain and feel good during bad times, you should plug the other place where you do the exact same thing. I, I think that is an excellent plan. Uh, I also do the Full Lid, which is edited by, by Marguerite. And that is a weekly download of pop culture goodness. There's usually two stories in there, plus some interstitials, which will be sometimes art, sometimes music, or sometimes videos, and a play out. And it is a good time. 
it's been really nice actually getting back to the lid after a couple of weeks away for illness. You can find all the details for that that you might need at alistairstewart.com. There is a page on there for the full lid. And uh, yeah, it's free. Sign up. It's good. All right. Take us on out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for listening, folks. This has, uh, has ever been a joy. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Brock. As always, this is a wonderful way to spend every second Saturday of my life. I adore <laughs> hanging out with you. We will see you next time. And until then, please remember to keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. Bye, 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 bye.